0: chapter eleven of from bangkok to bombay siam french indochina burma hindustan by frank g carpenter this recording is in the public domain recording by betty b the light of asia in writing of buddha edwin arnold called him the light of asia today it seems to me the people of this part of the world are thinking of material rather than a spiritual illumination and are looking to Burma for the real light of Asia. The Empire of India ranks seventh among the oil-producing regions of the world, and most of her production comes from wells in Burma. Of a total yearly output of 7.5 million barrels, Burma's share is something like 6 million. The entire production is controlled by the Burma Oil Company, a British corporation that enjoys a far greater monopoly than our own standard oil company ever achieved. It has to pay a royalty to the government on every barrel of oil, but it is also largely protected by the administration, and no outsider is allowed even to prospect for oil in this province. As a matter of fact, the world's first oil trust was established out here in India, and the output of Burma has always been in the hands of a monopoly. Long before our Pennsylvania oil was discovered, the Burma fields were controlled by 24 families in two villages of the yinang yang oil region from which most of the petroleum still comes generations ago these people gained possession and tied up the oil lands so tightly that no one else could dig for petroleum much less own an oil well the members of this group of families were known as yoya and their chiefs were called twinsayo. shares in the property were passed on from father to son or in case there were no descendants went only to other families within the group, so that the corporation was decidedly close. At first, the Yinang Yong owners disposed of the oil wherever they pleased. Then a little over half a century ago, King Minden Min declared himself a partner in their monopoly and decreed that the entire output must be sold over to him. For a time after the Burma Oil Company began, its work farther down the river valley some of the Yoya continued taking out oil as their forefathers had done. They broke up the rock with pointed lumps of iron, weighing about 150 pounds, and carried the debris out in baskets. When the oil stratum was reached, they waited for the petroleum to seep in and then raised it in buckets, which were filled by men lowered in rope slings to the bottom. The wells were seldom more than 250 feet deep. As there was much gas in them, The miners could stay below but a few minutes in order to make the most of their time they blindfolded themselves before descending so that their eyes were adjusted to the darkness by the time they reached the bottom to protect their heads from the rocks and earth continually falling from the sides of the wells they wore stiff hats made of palm leaves all the oil thus produced was sold to the burma oil company which paid such low prices that the owners could make little more than fair wages finally the company bought them all out the methods now used are thoroughly modern and largely american in fact our people have in burma as they have in nearly every other oil field in the world a monopoly on the driller's jobs in boring a well the rope to which the drill is attached breaks every now and then leaving the tools stuck in the hole the american seems to be the only ones who have mastered the trick of dropping a grappling hook, catching the drill, and bringing it out. Moreover, our people are the only ones who can properly sink the iron pipes, or casings. In the early stages of the drilling in the Burma fields, the oil was found at a depth of 500 feet, but recent wells have gone down several thousand feet. There are no flowing wells, and the average output is far under that of wells in the United States although the people of burma and elsewhere in the orient have been using petroleum in one form or another for generations our own american oil trust made it the modern illuminant of the east you remember how some years ago the standard oil company found itself facing the fact that electricity and gas were replacing kerosene for lighting our homes in the united states new markets were desperately needed and accordingly the company began a campaign to educate the big Asiatic populations to the use of kerosene. It erected huge storage tanks along our Pacific coast and set up other tanks, holding tens of thousands of barrels along the China coast at Shanghai, Tianjin, and even at Hengkau, 600 miles up the yangtze kiang Great factories were also constructed for making the oil cans, now found in even the most remote districts of the Far East. Here on the Irrawaddy, below Rangoon, there are storage tanks, which belong to the Burma Oil Company. Each will hold half a million gallons of oil, and I can see at least two score or so from where I am writing. The Burma Oil Company is one of the world's big monopolies, and has its own fleet of tank steamers for shipping petroleum to all parts of the earth. Pipelines have been laid to cerium from the fields, which are situated some 300 miles up the river. At first the pipes were laid on the surface, but they were so much affected by temperature change that later they were put underground. I have gone through the refineries at Siriam, which cover a hundred acres or more along the banks of the Irrawaddy, about sixteen miles from its mouth. I shall not attempt to describe the processes except to say that enormous furnaces are kept hot with oil fires, and that the boilers above them have pipes to catch the vapor as the oil boils. Refining petroleum is much like distilling whiskey. The crude oil is heated to a vapor, which passes into coal pipes, where it is condensed to a liquid and runs out as pure oil. The machinery at Siriam is up to date, and a good deal of it came from the United States. American refining experts have been imported, also, with the result that Burma's oil is now of good quality and colorless, instead of having a yellowish tinge as formerly. The residue after the first distillation is carried from boiler to boiler until all the oil has been extracted a part of what is left is turned into paraffin wax and in the end there is also a product which is made into a coke superior to that obtained from coal the wax is used chiefly for candles which are manufactured in large quantities to be burned at the buddhist shrines the largest of the candles are great round tapering cylinders six and a half feet tall and as thick as an elephant's leg such candles cost about 15 or 20 dollars. another petroleum product consumed in large quantities in british india is the heavy white tasteless mineral oil that we use as medicine the indians import a good deal of this from the united states not for medicinal purposes but for adulterating their cooking oils the labor employed in the cerium refineries is almost altogether indian and largely from madras among the workers i saw little chaps who should have been in school packing candles and carrying heavy loads they worked with all their might for wages of but a few cents a day i rode about through the plant on a little car pushed by four coolies and before leaving i took a ride in a big automobile in and out among the great tanks where the oil is stored The Burmese Oil Trust has other refineries at Dunedaw, or the opposite bank of the Irrawaddy, and is steadily adding to its enterprises. It builds its own barges and carries on almost as many different activities as the Standard Oil Company. The whole province is now being prospected with the hope of finding new oil territory. The present fields extend over an area of only about 100 square miles. In addition to the developed fields in burma the indian empire has another oil region this is on the west and includes Baluchistan and the punjab the same oil belt being continued beyond the borders of british india and persia of the two the eastern field is by far the most important and burma furnishes the greater part of the oil and gasoline used in all india while rangoon and mandalay like other large towns have electric lights throughout the country a vast and increasing number of homes are lighted only by kerosene lamps and the product of petroleum has largely displaced vegetable oil as an illuminant. consequently there is a big market for burma's oil right at her doors another monopoly in burma besides the oil trust is that in rubies the province produces the finest of these stones and furnishes most of the world's supply the industry is in the hands of the burma ruby mines company which is operating in the moguk valley about ninety miles from mandalay a region there four thousand feet above sea level and covering about sixty square miles has produced more and better rubies than any other place upon earth in some years it has yielded stones worth half a million dollars and a few years ago there was found a single stone the peace ruby which sold for one hundred thousand dollars a fine ruby is more valuable than the average diamond of the same weight a five carat stone of the color known as pigeon's blood will sell for several times as much as a five carat diamond and the difference in price increases with the size a ruby weighing eleven carats was sold in england for thirty five thousand dollars whereas a diamond of that size might not bring more than one-fifth as much the largest ruby ever known came from tibet it weighed two thousand carats but it was not of the finest quality some of the best stones are owned by indian rajahs who consider them among the most beautiful of gems modern methods are now used in working the ruby mines the pumps and other machinery are operated by hydroelectric power and the processes and equipment are similar to those employed in the diamond mines of south africa the stones are run over pulsators which separate the heavier gravel from the lighter and the precious stones are sorted out the rubies obtained are graded by gem experts who are all europeans the best stones are sent to london and paris while those of lesser value are auctioned off to the local dealers about the mines the latter are great gamblers And will run up the prices if they think a stone may have a valuable center among the rubies are found spinels stones which look much like the true ruby but which are not rubies under certain light tests the real rubies will show a violet or blue cast which is a sign of their genuineness and distinguishes them from spinels and synthetic gems the rubies lie in matrices in the rocks and also in clay With them are sometimes found sapphires, blue, yellow, and green, as well as garnets and spinels. I have learned from a man of wide experience in Burma and India that out here, where the rubies are mined, it is hard to get genuine stones. Many of those offered to travelers in Rangoon are synthetic gems made in Paris by melting silica and coloring materials in the heat of an oxyacetylene flame. This man tells me that a wealthy friend of his commissioned him to purchase some rubies in Rangoon. He went to the leading jeweler in the city, who declared that he would try his best to get the genuine articles, but could not guarantee any above the size of the end of a lead pencil. Ten days later, the jeweler had been able to secure only four that stood the test. The pawnbrokers here practically never lend money on rubies and sapphires because such a large proportion of these stones are artificial the synthetic gems by the way do not have any flaws whereas the good stones often do burma is famous also for its jade it is mined in the northern part of the country and the best of it is sold to the chinese who prize it highly they employ the word jade much as we do the term pure gold a fine girl is a jade girl a beautiful hand is a jade hand and a jade foot is one that is always on time. Nearly every well-to-do Chinese girl has jade earrings and bracelets, and many have jade hairpins and brooches. In Burma, the stone is often used for earplugs as well as for rings and other jewelry. The jade found in northern Burma is of a beautiful shade of green, which is greatly desired. The mines have always been regarded as the property of the Kachins, whose exclusive right to the stone was never questioned by the native kings. The mines are still in the hands of the native chiefs of the tribe, and are worked by the crudest methods. The rocks are first cracked by building fires upon them, and then broken apart by crowbars and wedges, and shaped up with hammers into sizes convenient for transportation. The annual output is valued at about a quarter of a million dollars. Jade is not found anywhere in large quantities, but occurs in small veins Or pockets scattered here and there among the rocks when a vein is cleaned out often no more is found nearby and that is the reason why modern mining methods would not pay practically all the jade produced in the world comes from burma though some of a rather different chemical composition is found in mexico and eastern turkestan as the visible supply approaches exhaustion the stone becomes more and more costly The ordinary jade of commerce is translucent but the best jade the kind the wealthy chinese buy is transparent and looks not unlike green glass a jade necklace of perfectly transparent beads may cost as much as fifteen hundred dollars in rangoon whereas the ordinary kind would bring only thirty or forty besides her oil rubies and jade burma has rich silver and lead mines that are operated by the most up-to-date methods and she has also deposits of zinc, tin, and tungsten. The lack of railroads and a permanent labor are both handicaps to the exploitation of her mineral wealth. The mine laborers are largely Yunnanese from South China, who leave the mines for several months in the wet season to work on their farms at home. Efforts are being made to break up this annual migration by improving labor conditions and providing hospitals and better lodgings at the mines, but the problem still remains perplexing end of chapter 11